and welcome to What's Brewing, a series of the Project Zion podcast where we answer the questions, what is mission and how is it being lived out in Community of Christ? I'm your host, Blake Smith, and in today's episode, we're going to pull the camera back a few feet and look at the role that the COVID pandemic has had in forcing the issue of change as it regards doing and being the church, and in turn, that requires a new way of looking at how mission will be carried out in the days ahead. My guest for today's podcast is Kelly Phipps. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Blake. Good to be with you. Why don't you give us just a synopsis, a little rundown on who you are, Kelly, so that our under- our listeners understand why this is important to you. Sure. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Um, so I live in the Kansas City area with my uh, wife, and uh, we have two adult children. Uh, professionally, I am a professor of management at Rockhurst University, where I uh, teach mostly in our MBA program, um, and I, um, as well as undergraduate courses. So that's what I do professionally, and uh, active in a couple of congregations here in the Kansas City area. Well, great, Kelly. We are really glad to have you with us, and especially uh, because of this work that you have done. You mentioned to me in a previous conversation that this has kind of come out of some of your conversations from this previous summer and finding out what's going on in the church. So it's incredibly relevant and we're glad to have you. So I'm just going to turn it over to you and uh, let you do your thing. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. So uh, part of the reason I wanted to engage in this conversation with you um, is I spent a lot of time thinking about the changes that I see happening in the community of Christ particularly since the pandemic. Um, But it probably would be useful for me to explain why I'm even thinking about this topic. And there's really a couple of reasons that uh, the question of change in the church is of particular interest to me. And the first one I alluded to earlier, uh, it's because I'm a professor of management and I teach uh, mostly courses in organizational behavior and leadership development. Uh, And so many of those are graduate courses. And so I'm always working with students uh, to think through what change looks like in their organizations. And so when I'm doing that with students, it's hard to not think about the organizations that I'm active in uh, and think about how change is uh, playing out in those organizations. So I, I bring sort of a professional curiosity to a question of change in the church. Well, the second reason that I uh, spent a lot of time thinking about how the church is changing is a, is a much more personal one. Um, about 10 years ago, um, I got ill. And as a part of my illness, I wasn't able to be present with my congregation any longer, uh, physically present in the building. And so I had some friends who were very gracious and wanted to help, uh, help accommodate those needs. And uh, um, at Ten years ago, our congregation wasn't streaming our services, and so uh, we got a camera and set it up in the, in the sanctuary, and um, they made it possible for me to watch the services uh, streamed remotely, and was very appreciative of that. And, and so for several years, that's what I did. I just kind of watched the services, but over time, I began to um, sense that watching other people worship wasn't really the same as being a part of the community. Uh, And it really um, left me wanting more. Uh, And so eventually I started looking for other ways to stay connected with my faith tradition. 
Um, and I'll be honest, I didn't find a lot of options. Um, there were a few, but they were, um, they didn't feel like a good fit. And then this thing called COVID came along and uh, kind of a weird thing happened. Um, I, I realized in talking to some friends one day that suddenly everybody in the faith tradition was in the same situation I had been in for years. Uh, they were trying to figure out a way how to stay connected in a community when we couldn't be together physically in person. Um, and not only was everyone in the same boat that I was in, um, I began to notice that other people were responding in really very creative ways to that problem. And lots of technological adaptation and creativity started happening. And because of my experience being eliminated or prevented from being physically present, um, I found myself very curious about what other people were doing. And so because I uh, have sort of a professional curiosity and a personal curiosity about this, um, I've been kind of taking notes and my brain looks for patterns and trends. And so uh, what I'm going to share with you today is kind of my observation of the trends that I'm seeing. And I just want to be clear up front. These are just my observations uh, as an outside, somewhat outside academic to the church. And I know there are all kinds of changes going on in the church that I'm not describing. Um, so this is an incomplete list, but I do think there's a benefit in uh, looking for patterns or trends that we might not have otherwise noticed. So that's what I want to do is I want to share my sense of the patterns of change that I'm seeing happening in the church. To do that, it might be useful for me to start by describing uh, a particular change theory that I use in my classes. Uh, there's a lot of theories about change and why it happens and why it doesn't happen. Um, and many of those theories attempt to address uh, why an organization doesn't change. So in other words, what's causing resistance. Um, so the theory I wanna focus on is known as Lewin's three-stage change model. Um, and Lewin's model answers that question, why is change not happening, and answers it by, by hypothesizing that the reason change doesn't happen in organizations is because people are stuck in their routines. Uh, they're stuck in their patterns, and so change doesn't happen because they're, they're habitually doing what they've always done. And so under Lewin's three-stage model, if you want to affect change in an organization, first step you need to do is disrupt that pattern. Um, and he refers to it as we're frozen in our pattern. So he says you thaw the pattern, move the group to a new desired state, and then you refreeze them into that new routine. So why am I talking all about Lewin's three-stage model? I What I believe happened was uh, that COVID effectively disrupted our routines and started that change process and by disrupting all of the patterns we had, all the ways we'd always done church, change was pretty much inevitable at that point. But in Lewin's model, he's really thinking about a planned change. So an organization that you want them to move to this new desired state, you, you break the old pattern, you move them into a new state, and then you make that the new pattern. What happened in the church during COVID was very much an unplanned change. So we had all this disruption, and now we're sort of waiting 
to figure out what our new patterns will be. What is the new routine? Um, and so that new routine hasn't formed yet. And that's part of why I'm really curious and watching for new things emerging because I'm paying attention to try to figure out um, where are we going to land at the end of this change process. So with that very long introduction, I, I want to point out the three trends that I'm seeing in the church in North America. Just to be clear, uh, that's my context in the church. Uh, that's where I experience the church, where I talk to people, where I'm watching I am sure that there is all kinds of change happening everywhere in the church. I just don't have uh, the, the vantage point to watch what that change looks like in other parts of the church. So, so what I'm sharing is my perspective on the change happening primarily here in the North American church. So the first trend that, that I have watched with great curiosity is the use of technology to support community building. I think we all watched this and experienced this. Um, so, you know, I mentioned earlier when we couldn't be together in person, a lot of people way more technologically savvy than I am found ways to use all these tools to keep us connected. Some of those were brand new ministries and some of them were things that existed before the pandemic, but just sort of blossomed uh, as people were looking for ways to stay connected. But it's not actually the use of the technology during the pandemic that I think represents the change for us, although that certainly was. That was really more of an adaptation for us. What I find interesting is that many of these new expressions didn't stop when we were able to be together in person again. Uh, and so um, the change really is the fact that these things we did as a short-term adaptation became new long-standing uh, tools in use in our faith community. And what that suggests to me is uh, that the, this use of technology created uh, something useful for us, uh, that those ministries either augmented or sometimes even replaced our traditional congregational gatherings. So the, the use of technology is the trend, uh, the use of technology to support our community building. But that's a pretty broad trend, and I, I want to drill down a little bit more. Uh, and there's really several kind of patterns uh, that I saw uh, emerging in the use of technology. And many of these, like I said earlier, existed before the pandemic, but really sort of came into their own uh, post-pandemic. Um, the first one is a, is a pattern I refer to as a, the campground congregation. Uh, many of you may be familiar with one of these in your area. It's a collection of people who all have some spiritual connection to a campground, uh, and they use that connection as the defining element for their community. So they may stay connected virtually throughout the year uh, and meet periodically, maybe quarterly at the campground for retreats, uh, fellowship, and worship together. Uh, so it's a community that really is orbits around the congregation and uses that as their central defining element. So that's one example of a group using technology to support community building. Another example is what I call the non-geographic congregation. Uh, this is really probably an online congregation, but what I think distinguishes it most isn't that it's online, 
It's that their participants aren't limited to a location, like a city or a town. Um, so it may be organized by mission centers, so they might have some geographic boundaries, uh, but some of the online or non-geographical congregations really have no geographic limits at all and have members from all around the world. So these groups exist entirely online, um, and it's really their um, that how they go about living out the mission of the congregation exists entirely in an online setting, and their members aren't bound to any one location. So a, a third example of using technology to support community building is, um, is a hybrid congregation. Now, um, there's a lot of groups, just to be clear, that are using uh, technology to stream their services, and, and I applaud that. I personally benefit from that uh, for a long time. But a hybrid congregation is something a little more than that. Um, they're using uh, the technology to incorporate members who may never attend personally in that location. So some of the members attend in person, some attend online, and some may alternate between attending uh, in person or online depending on the week. What makes these congregations truly hybrid is that their online members are considered full members of the congregation. They're more than just online observers. So this means that they're involved in worship. Uh, they may participate in the worship services uh, as uh, prayers, uh, speaking. Um, they, the congregation may have online fellowship opportunities, um, and they may include people who are online in, in all of their programmatic planning. Uh, so as they're thinking about what the congregation will do, they're always thinking about how the online members will engage with those programs. So that's hybrid congregation as a, as a third example of using technology to support the way we build community. So those first three are examples of uh, kind of congregational expressions. The last example is uh, really not connected in any way with the congregation, um, and it's what I call an affinity group. So these are groups that meet online around a shared interest in some facet of the church's mission. So that could be peace building or church history or um, specific priesthood office um, or really any part of our mission. So these groups may never meet in person, uh, but they gather online, they have shared, uh, they have online programming, and they really exist due to a, a, the group having a shared passion for some dimension of our mission. Um, I actually am involved in a couple of these, um, and I look forward uh, to when those groups meet because uh, I know I'm connecting with people who, who have a shared vision of what, why we exist as a faith community, and, uh, and it allows me to not only connect with those people, but go deeper in those areas of shared passion. So all of these, I think, are examples um, of how we are using technology to support community building. Again, some of these have been going on for years, but COVID really disrupted our patterns and as a result, people moved into this online space and found new ways of connecting with their church community. So that's, that's the first trend I'm seeing. 
of this expansion in the use of technology to build and support community. The second trend I'm observing is that many people who use those ministries didn't go back to just their old way of doing church when when the pandemic um, allowed us to be physically present with one another again. So um, instead, they remained active in these online communities. And as a result, what they had begun doing is what I refer to as actively constructing a personal support network uh, or a spiritual support network. So what do I mean by that? Actively constructing a personal spiritual support network. So we've got this proliferation of online options that happened when after COVID hit. And I'm seeing people pick and choose the types of connections they want to be involved in uh, to meet their own personal needs and interests. So they might have previously thought of themselves as a member of some local congregation, but now uh, many people are thinking of themselves as a part of several different ministerial expressions. They may attend church in one place, participate in a book study or a cell group sponsored by another group. Um, and so in response, what started, all these groups that started as a, in response to social distancing, they stuck around and turned into this new category of ministry that's something above and beyond what congregations used to offer. So in practice, that means that people have this option to form and maintain broader networks in the church than they might have before COVID. And, and to speak to this personally, that's exactly what happened to me personally. I still feel very connected to my longtime congregation, but because I wasn't able to be physically present with them, when I heard about an online book study put on by a different congregation, I signed up for it because I was interested in the topic, and I found myself really feeling like the people in that book study were a part of my faith community as well. And so my network expanded. Um, and I thought of myself kind of as an anomaly in that regard. And so um, people asked me which congregation I, I attend. And um, I found myself kind of saying this strange thing. I think I said it in my introduction that I'm uh, a part of two different congregations um, and I felt kind of sheepish describing myself that way. And what I discovered was that lots of people uh, resonated with that and began to tell me about their own way that they were involved in multiple groups. Um, and so it wasn't just me. Uh, people maintained a connection to their original faith congregation, the faith, original faith community, but then had expanded their connections to involve some other ministries. So that's the second trend that I'm seeing. It's not happening with everyone, but I'm running into more and more people doing this, actively constructing personal spiritual support networks, many times using these new technological options. So that's the second trend. The third trend that I'm seeing, I sometimes refer to as uh, the hard conversation. And I say that in, in quotes. It's when a group came back from COVID and found that the group that returned was smaller than what they were before COVID, or, or maybe the group that returned just didn't have the energy to do everything they did uh, pre-pandemic. So I keep hearing about groups having these really difficult 
and wrenching conversations about how best to exert their energies. Now, sometimes when I hear about these conversations, um, they're hyper-focused on what to do about the building. Do we sell the building? Do we keep the building? And I actually think that's probably not the place to start the conversation. When I hear it done well, groups are asking the question, what does this group feel called to be doing now in this moment? And for that reason, I call this trend focused ministries. So the third trend is what I call focused ministries. So we're not certainly not the only faith community that's uh, struggling with diminished in, uh, attendance post-pandemic. Uh, the demographic research that I'm reading suggests that that's tra- happening in lots of faith communities. And in, in many cases, it's the, the middle-aged adults uh, that, that aren't uh, returning. Uh, and we don't entirely know why they're not returning. Uh, initial research suggests that having taken a break from church, they, uh, the, the space that church once occupied gets filled with kids and caring for parents and busy careers. Um, we don't know why uh, that group may not have returned in full force. But as a result, many congregations are realizing that they're not going back to the way they were pre-pandemic. And so they're having to ask these hard questions. What can we realistically do with the people that remain? And the trend that I'm seeing is that congregations are choosing one or two dimension of of congregational life that they feel particularly equipped and called to pursue in this moment and focusing on that and really letting the rest go. Um, What they choose to focus on differs from group to group. It might be small group fellowship, home visiting, food pantry, or um, it could be any dimension of congregational life or the church's mission that they choose to focus on. But what really distinguishes these groups is that they're letting go of what they used to do, some of what they used to do, and really focusing on one area. Now, all these trends, I'm naming them as separate trends, but they obviously have some connection with each other. And in some circumstances, this is possible because the members are feeling like there are, there are other options. They can log on and worship with another group. Uh, and maybe this small group they're a part of should be focusing on something else, small group fellowship or home ministry or whatever it is they choose to focus on. So there's some connection between how these trends are working. Uh, but really, the, the, this third trend is that groups are choosing to narrow their focus of their ministry in light of a smaller group that may have less time and energy to commit. So if I bring all these three trends together, here's what I'm seeing. Our COVID hits and all of our patterns as a church get disrupted, um, and a whole lot of change is launched in the church. In response to that wave of change, a lot of very creative people found some technological solutions to help keep us stay connected. And those efforts were so successful that people wanted to keep using them even after we were able to meet together again. So with all these new options around, church members are mixing and matching their participation to create personal spiritual networks. And as traditional congregational groups, 
maybe shrinking, some of them are using this moment to focus their ministry in specific areas. So those are the trends that I'm seeing. And, and again, those are just my take on what I'm seeing from talking to people around the church um, and listening. Um, and obviously, um, those are trends. And, you know, I talked about um, change sort of got launched by COVID and we haven't landed any place yet. Um, where those trends take us is really an open question. And so the implications of those changes are really what I want to talk about next. So obviously there's innumerable implications to this, but I really want to focus on three, what I see as three implications to these trends that we should be focusing on. And those implications really have to do with three things, leaders, youth, and active membership. So let me take those in that order. Let's start with leaders. So when I'm uh, teaching a course on, on uh, organizations, uh, the term that we use to describe the process of preparing the next generation of leaders, uh, we sometimes refer to that as succession planning. So the idea behind succession planning is that an organization uh, has the new leader uh, already trained and ready to step into the role occupied by the previous leader. But if I look at the trends that are underway in the church, um, our future may look very different than the traditional church we're used to. And so for that reason, I want to suggest that succession planning is really not a very helpful way of thinking about what the next generation of leaders needs to look like. Because if we think of it as succession planning, we will be looking for leaders prepared to lead the church as it was and not the church as it's becoming. And so when I think about what leadership development needs to look like in the church, it's a whole lot less like preparing them to be pastors or congregational leaders. And instead, I'm interested in empowering leaders who share our sense of mission and helping them create what's emerging in the church. And if I'm honest with myself, that's probably going to mean people younger than me. And let me explain why I say that. I'm what, for those of us who are older, um, building community online is very much a learned skill. Um, I still find it very difficult to build what I think is durable, authentic community in an online environment. I can do it, but it takes effort and it never feels entirely authentic to me. Uh, and the reason for that is I'm a late adopter of these technologies. Um, I was a fully formed adult when all these technologies came around. But for my younger friends and uh, my friends who are members in the church, building online community is a completely natural expression. It's something they've done their entire lives. And so if ever there was a moment when we needed to be empowering the next generation of leaders to help us build the church of the future, this is that moment. Now, when I say empowering young leaders, I don't mean dumping the problem on them or asking them to fix it. I mean, taking those individuals who are passionate about our mission and asking them to imagine with us what it would look like to build 
our community in an online setting, or at least use online tools to help support the communities that we're building. And the reason we need to be doing that, um, empowering young leaders, is that if if I, as a middle-aged man, built that online community, I can guarantee you it's not going to be very good, and it's probably not going to attract young people. And so empowering young people who know how to use these tools, use them naturally and see the new tools as they're emerging, empowering them to build out what the next expressions of our faith community look like. That's really going to be imperative if this if these new online expressions are going to become a natural expression, a natural and durable expression of what it means to be community of Christ. So that's the first implication I think about, uh, the next generation of leaders. The other implication I think about uh, it pertains to youth. So for every generation, to, for every organization to survive, it's got to have an effective way of passing its values and beliefs on to the next generation. And for as long as anyone alive can remember, that's been done in our faith community through Christian education. But if I think about these trends I'm describing, I'm not sure what Christian education looks like in an online context. Um, If our trend is toward online communities and smaller, more focused local ministries, we need to be thinking ourselves about how we raise, help raise the next generation of disciples. Because nurturing and supporting new disciples is central to our mission and These online communities that I'm describing, these ministries, they are really useful at helping us keep helping those of us who are already disciples stay connected to one another. But I'm not convinced that it's the best method for onboarding or bringing on new disciples or nurturing uh, new disciples uh, in, in what used to be Christian education. And part of the reason I'm skeptical about that really has to do with my own experience uh, teaching online uh, during COVID. Um, my, my wife and I were, are both educators, and um, I have nothing but respect for teachers and administrators who did amazing things to maintain continuity during the pandemic. But even with those best efforts, what we're learning is that um, online education that doesn't have an ongoing relationship with the between the educator and the student is just not as effective um, if if it's all entirely online and that relationship doesn't exist. So I don't have the answer to this, um, but I do know that it if this is the direction our faith tradition is going to move, and that's a big if, if we are moving toward blended communities and online. Um, and smaller local communities, um, then we need to be actively thinking about how do we attend to the needs of young disciples in the in the midst of that transition. So, you know, we're going through a lot of change, but the, the outcomes aren't determined. We have a lot of say in where we land with this. So we need to name this challenge, uh, the challenge of attending to the needs of our youth, And we need to put our collective creativity behind it, because if we don't, all these new online 
communities we're building will end up simply being a way to support the last generation of church members. And that would be a terrible loss. So we need to put our collective creativity behind how do we help new disciples grow in this blended context, a blended online and face-to-face. So the last implication I want to talk about has to do with this idea of active membership. So every organization has to have its way of measuring who's in, who's out, and what it takes to be a member in good standing. And for whatever reason, for many years, whether we intended it or not, we tended to judge whether someone was active in our faith tradition by whether they regularly attended services on a Sunday morning. We could argue all day about whether that was ever a very helpful measure, but it tended to be how we thought about whether someone was active or not. But if we're going to be a church where people are actively constructing diverse spiritual support networks, what attendance means uh, is going to need to change because attending on a Sunday morning in a physical building becomes a pretty meaningless measure of whether someone is active in our movement. And I'll just use an example. I can imagine someone who engages online with a campground congregation, they log on for church history lectures, uh, they may be active with a local food pantry sponsored by the Mission Center. If that person is not considered active in our movement, I don't know who should be. Um, So if we're moving to a future where there are many avenues to participate, some of them online, we need to let go of our old norms that might prioritize one form of participation over another and acknowledge that if you care about our mission and you are working with us to advance that mission, then you're a part of us and we welcome you. So that's really what I wanted to share. So in conclusion, Um, I think the church in North America is going through a period of rapid change. And I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but that change, from my perspective, is happening at the local level. There's all kinds of innovation happening in mission centers and congregations all over the church. And that change that's happening at the local level is really charting the future of the church. And in my personal opinion, the young people among our movement are positioned very well to lead what that new iteration of our church could look like. And we need to be actively looking for ways to empower and support them in that. I've already benefited from being a part of some of these new expressions, and I look forward to all the new expressions that are to come, both as an observer and as a participant. So, Blake, that's what I wanted to share. Um, what are your thoughts or questions? Oh, my gosh, Kelly. First of all, let me just say thank you for all of that. It's uh, been very, very helpful information and obviously well thought out. I don't think anyone who's uh, paying attention to church life in particular or even post-pandemic life in general could walk away from this episode, not having resonated with many of the reflections you've shared here. I mean, I know that um, I've experienced most, if not all of those patterns and trends just in the small area that I serve. 
I want to say that I really appreciate your um, expanded understanding of community and belonging. I think that's that's a critical piece for me and, and a piece that we often miss because our history has been to be very insulated and, and inward looking. So um, that's helpful. Uh, there are so many questions I could ask, but I know that's not the purpose of this particular episode. Um, it seems to me like um, there's so much more to explore and discuss. I was wondering, um, having identified these patterns and trends and given your affinity for the church and sacred community, what would be your hope as a result of your research and observations? Well, that's a great question. Um, part of the reason that I was interested in sharing my reflections um, is not because I necessarily am an expert on all of this. Um, so it's it's kind of funny. I asked you what questions you had. Uh, I was secretly hoping you had none because I don't have answers. <laughs> the, the questions we need to be asking are of one another. Um, what I hope happens from this episode is that people begin discussing with one another what their experiences have been using technology to connect, what their hopes are, um, what's working and what's not working. I hope that um, part of my, my hope is, is to name some of what's happening and to acknowledge that we're in, still in the middle of that change and the outcome's not determined. And, and so I think collectively as a faith community, we need to be owning the change that's happening and moving ourselves from a position of individually trying to solve the challenges where we sit and collectively learning from each other from what we're trying. There's, I, I do, I've personally never experienced a time of radical experimentation in the church like we've gone through in the last four years. And yet, a lot of that is happening in semi-isolation. Uh, congregations, small groups, mission centers are trying stuff. But we need to be finding ways to, to talk with one another about what we're learning, developing best practices, um, learning from our personal experiences. Um, I got to tell you, part of what, why I resonate with hybrid congregations is from my experience being an observer of a congregation. Um, and it's, uh, it was for me, my first experience in a long time being um, a visitor, an outsider. Um, and that's a great way to learn. Uh, and so we are all experiencing um, the church through new vantage points. And I, so my long answer to your great question is, I hope the outcome from this is a whole lot of conversation and a whole lot of exploration and learning from one another. Well, thanks, Kelly. I particularly caught on to your phrase, collective creativity. I think that that says a lot for, uh, we have such an incredible resource. And like you said, I don't think anybody actually has experienced this kind of radical transformation in the church or otherwise, um, even probably most of our older membership who of course have seen some significant and radical changes in the church, but this fast-moving, ever-changing pace that we're in is, is new to all of us, so thanks for that, and thanks for the encouragement. I hope that our listeners are hearing that and will uh, begin to engage in some of that collective creativity, because 
we do have a tremendous resource among um, our community, uh, trying all different kinds of things. And it's about sharing both the successes and the failures and the mistakes and and the things that you're learning every day. So I would encourage everybody to be a part of that as well. So there's a, another point on that that I want to point out. Um, so the so the pandemic disrupted our patterns and it disrupted them in a way that really didn't give us a whole lot of lead time to plan. Um, I, I think about this uh, through my professional lens as well. Um, about two years before uh, COVID uh, hit, I'd been asked to teach one of my first online courses. And uh, as an educator, that's kind of a daunting thing to teach your first online course. Seems almost uh, comical now to say that was daunting. Uh, everybody's done it now, uh, but back then it was a it was a totally new thing for me. And I spent eighteen months designing that first online course. Um, and then COVID hit, and I had like three or four days to to turn all my other courses into online courses. And so uh, many of us were caught off guard and found ourselves trying to do online church without really any preparation. Uh, and, and so we were experimenting. That was the only way to do it. But if I think about it through the lens of an education uh, mindset, when I'm preparing a class to be online, it, I cannot take an on-ground class and just move it online. I have to completely redesign the class and I have to redesign it because I have to think about it through the vantage point of the student. I'm always thinking about how will a student engage with this material and how will they engage with one another? Because if all I do is move my lecture online, then all I've done is turn them into an observer of an, of a class that happened years ago. And so an online community is formed when there is an active opportunity to engage with one another, um, both uh, among the participants and among those who may be, you know, physically present in the building, if it's a if it's a hybrid context. So I would encourage people to to when when I say experimentation, I mean more than just what we tried in COVID that worked or didn't work. What did we learn from that? And what is the next iteration of what we're going to try to do? Because community building online takes immense amount of effort and thought. And I want to make sure we're not just hanging on to what we did during the pandemic, but we're actually building on it and improving it uh, based on what we learned. That's great. I was just wondering, because what, your comments have made me think of, of a text that uh, has been helpful in this. So I would ask you, certainly as as a educator, is there any resource that you might recommend that uh, you found helpful that might help folks who want to explore this deeper themselves? I didn't prepare you for that, but I wondered if maybe there was something that come, came to the top of the list. You know, I, I don't have a specific resource to recommend. What I personally have benefited from is um, observing what others are trying in multiple contexts. Um, 
in the middle of the pandemic, we got a group of uh, corporate executives together uh, in the Kansas City area and asked them, you know, what they were struggling with. And their universal answer was maintaining corporate culture in a, in a remote work environment. Uh, they, they were just stumped about how to do that. And they immediately turned to one another and saying, what are you trying? You know, are you, they were doing virtual water coolers and online uh, social hours and um, small group discussions. Like they were, um, they were trying to find ways to maintain the continuity of the culture. And actually what one of the um, executives shared had been most helpful to him was uh, taking an online class uh, by being watching how online professors were doing it, gave him ideas for what to do in his corporate setting. And so what I would suggest to people is look at what other churches are doing, but also look at what other um, online communities you're a part of are doing. How are they, what tools are they using? How are they staying connected? Uh, what uh, are they using uh, an email reminder thread using Teams? Are they using Zoom? Uh, so finding, because it's that cross-pollination across industries that's going to give us new tools to try that maybe we wouldn't have had access to otherwise. Again, uh, great information and great insights and advice. So I want to thank you, Kelly, for taking your time to be here with us. I am especially, again, connected with with a lot of what you've said here, and it's real helpful to me in the ministry that I offer. And so I hope it'll be helpful to our listeners as well. I would add to your comments to encourage conversation with one another. Talk about what you're doing. Don't try to be somebody else's version of a new expression, uh, because it's going to look different in different places. Uh, Thank you for being with us today. Uh, you've been listening to What's Brewing, the Project Zion podcast series. You can find us at projectzionpodcast.org. Have a great day.